This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swing high ball! Built to right center! And the Braves have won it! There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. A walk-off homer from Freeman, and the Braves win it! Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, virtually via Zoom alongside Braves Director of Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Uh, Greg, we've got some whole lot of excitement happening with our, our 2021 Braves. As you and I are sitting here recording this, uh, we're currently in a first place High and then at least with the Phillies and the uh, the Phillies and Dodgers are playing right now and then we play uh, last game of the homestand against the Reds here in just a couple hours so we'll by the time this comes out hopefully we'll be in sole possession at first but uh, either way we're in a good spot so want to get into that but uh, the reason we're we're recording via Zoom today you uh, you're you're on assignment today you uh, went and visited one of our. Uh, one of our very first guests, actually, that we had on Behind the Braves, uh, a Braves legend, uh, easily the best voice that we've ever had on the show, hosts included, hosts, guests, everybody included. Uh, you went to visit our, our pal Rico Cardi. How's he doing? Big boy. Big boy's Big doing boy. well. Big boy. Yeah, Rico's doing great. Rico had... Um... He had knee surgery back in the Dominican, and uh, that was kind of tough on him. But then right after that, he got um, he got a little sick, uh, just, you know, had something that he couldn't kick and like a, a some sort of infection. And so uh, his daughter brought him over to the States and he's been getting some great care. And, man, he's doing well. He looks great. We spent I spent about an hour with him today and talking, meeting his grandkids and his uh, great grandkids and talking with them at their house and just had a great time visiting with him and just checking on him. I, uh, I love hearing his stories and talking about baseball. Unfortunately, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get to see him play, but uh, he's kind of one of those guys like Hank, you know, that I heard stories about, but I really didn't get the chance to, to watch. So it's always fun visiting with Rico. Like you said, he's a, he's a, uh, he's got a great voice and just got a lot of, a lot of fun time. Some great time uh, hanging out with him. Yeah, well, you know, if you're a newer listener to Behind the Braves uh, or you weren't with us from the very beginning of the show, definitely go back Um, again. It it was I think it was fall or maybe even winter of 2018. It was among the first 10 episodes we put out of Behind the Braves that we had Rico on and it's really, really stood out as a great interview. Kind of like you. Obviously, I wasn't around to see him play either. And he was just a name. I was only kind of I was familiar with the name, seen the baseball card. But I, I'll, as I probably said on the show three years ago, beyond that, I didn't really know much about the man. And 
that was one of those things. One of those things I was thankful for just from a personal standpoint of getting to do this show is uh, learning a little bit about players who I just previously didn't know anything about. And not only that, then getting to meet them and, and talk to them in person. I, I've uh, Rico is one that always comes to mind. Bruce Benedict. We had him on a couple years ago, another guy before my time, but boy, it was just great to learn about him. So um, again, if you're a newer listener to behind the Braves, go back and check out some of those old shows, even the ones from three years ago. We, we, of course, will talk a little current Braves uh, on, on our shows, but most of the time it's all about the guest and those, those, uh, what do we say in the biz? That's evergreen content. Those interviews. That's right. Well, let me tell you what Rico loves the game of baseball. So he'll be watching the Braves on his laptop. He's watching another game on this big screen there. He always asked me about, well, tell me about Acuna. Tell me about, you know, Adam Duvall. What's, you know, what's, what's, the t- what's new with the team? Cause he, he loves to talk hitting. He was, a prof- he was one of those guys that we call a professional hitter. Mm-hmm. So he could hit in his sleep. He was just fortunate. Unfortunately for Rico, he had some knee problems. He had tuberculosis one year that kept him out. He had some different health problems that kind of side rail his career or, you know, he probably would have played five, you know, more years and, and uh, would have been a lot. But I mean, he's got just unbelievable batting average. He hit for power and he hit the ball in the gaps and he hit for average. Go back and look at his numbers. It's just pretty amazing, but yeah, he still loves it. And he's sharp as attack. I mean, he's in, he's in his eighties, but he is watching the Braves every night. He's a Braves fan and uh, just loves loves uh, the game of baseball. So it's fun talking with him on that front, as well as just meeting his family and, and, and talking about life experiences. Oh, that's cool. That's great. Well, I, I hope to see him out here again at the at Truist Park sooner rather than later and love to get to sit down and chat with him again because I felt like we just scratched the surface well with him. We, we well, we it. may we may see him at Los Bravos in September. Oh, that would be awesome. We may see him. So I'm working on it. We'll see. But uh, okay. he is anxious to get back out to the ballpark. We just want to make sure that he – has a good experience and he's, uh, he's ready for it. So, uh, but I, I have, I have thrown it out there to him. Cool. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get to see him out here. Los Bravos day. I was just talking to our, uh, counterpart, Fernando, who hosts, uh, Los Bravos podcast along with your old teammate, Eddie Perez. And, uh, we're hoping to do finally do our, our crossover episode. Where nice. all of us sit down in a room around Los Bravos day. So you got that to look forward to. Uh, so yeah, hopefully we can have Rico out there for that as well. Um, well, look, as, as I mentioned, you know, you can always go back and listen to some of our older shows with, uh, some of our guests. And we've been very fortunate to have a, you name, you, you, you name a big name from Braves country. We've probably had them on the show at one point or another. Uh, other longtime listeners of this show know we also occasionally do a little thing called the Bubba and Harry show where it's just us and there's no no guests. So if everybody just decides they, they're just, they just can't stand us anymore and don't want to talk to us, then, well, it's like, all right, we'll just do our show. No, just kidding. We, we like to uh, just uh, change it up a little bit every now and then. Just the two of us sit down and talk. We I think we last did a Bubba and Harry show. I think it was when I was at the beach. So about two months ago now. So it's about time. The team is rolling now. Things are going well. We got new guys. Figured this would be a good time for us to chat. If you are a new listener, uh, I'm Bubba. 
Greg's Harry. Uh, if you want to find out why he's named Harry, well, then you would need to go back and listen to the Greg Maddox episode from 2018. And I don't, I couldn't tell you when the Bubba thing started, but it definitely started from a comment uh, in the reviews of this show. I somebody just <laughs> yeah. called me Bubba, so. <laughs> Bubba and Harry thing is taking on a life of its own, and that is our alter egos now. And now it's on your nameplate at the office. So <laughs> yeah. It's official. It's official on work day. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it is literally I can't mean, you know, I have to tweet out a picture of that or something because that is the uh my custom design plate at my desk that you made for me. I just assumed it would be up for a day and then somebody would like take it down or put no, it's 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 been up there for like a week and a half and no sign of it going away. So there it is. Um okay, well let's get into this uh we're talking about the 21 Braves a little bit. Uh man, this is as we're recording this, we're coming off the heels of that big walk-off win from Ozzie Albies in extra innings last night. This team, the first thing that comes to mind, I was just talking to Brad Merriweather here in the office, who's uh, Senior Director of Marketing for the Braves, and we were just talking about how the moves made at the trade deadline, the team as it's currently constructed, is this is... It's not an entirely brand new team, but it kind of feels like a new team. It's a different team than we had on, say, July 29th. That's for sure. And what we, what Brad and I were talking about was that win last night, that comeback win, felt like felt like 2019 again to me. Uh, it felt like a 2019 win. Don't get me wrong, the 2020 team was obviously great. I mean, within just a few outs of the World Series, but. 2020, 60-game season, it was just – that was just a whole thing. So I don't even know how to describe that. It was just a completely different kind of experience. This felt a lot more like that 2019 team that was confident. And, hey, somebody stumbles, the rest of the, the teammates pick them up. And that's what that's what that felt like last night. Will Smith's going through a, a bit of a rough patch. His guys fought back, won the game anyways. And that's that's what you'd love to see. That That's what I love to see. I, I guess I was thinking – what that was like for you as a player when the team would go out and make additions at the trade deadline. And of course, the first thing that came to my mind was your rookie year, 93. That's maybe still to this day, probably the most famous uh, trade deadline acquisition ever made by the Braves and getting Fred McGriff. And I don't think it was right at the deadline, but it was a, you know, around that time. Um, what is that like in the clubhouse when the front office goes out and adds pieces and I mean, I, to, to me as a fan, it's got a, it makes me feel good as a fan because I'm like, okay, the front office is, they see that the opportunity is there and they're trying to help. Um, so, what is that like in the clubhouse from a player's perspective? Well, it's kind of a, a double edged sword. So, one of my best friends was Sid Breen. So, in 1993, we go out and get Fred McGriff. And as exciting as that was, I'm thinking, oh, I guess he's taking Sid's spot. And, you know, so you have people that you've been in battle with and you know you're already a good team and you've been in the World Series in 91, you've been in the World Series in 92. Now 93, you know, you're struggling. I mean, you're, you're, you're still a good team, but you're, you're facing a, a crazy challenge. You're, the Giants are 10 games ahead of you. And, and then you go out and you're able to secure one of the best hitters in the league with Fred McGriff. And so you're like, Oh, wow. How in the world did we do that? And then you're like, well, and, you know, then everybody is kind of like, man, okay, well, we're, we're getting ready to step it up a notch. So there's an excitement there. And especially when you know your team needs an injection of energy, 
it, they need an injection of, um, you know, a couple spots and you feel bad for the guys who, who maybe aren't performing as well, or they're in a position that they shouldn't be. I mean, maybe they're, they're closing because and I'm not saying this about Will Smith, but just for instance, you've got a guy closing because there's a guy hurt, you know, Wollers goes down and, and, you know, you've got a guy like Kerry Lightenberg, he's, he's having to close because Wollers is hurt, you know, or something like that. Um, that's different. But when guys aren't performing and then all of a sudden the front office goes and says, okay, we're going to add these pieces. It gets everybody super excited, but then you're also kind of cognizant of that. Okay. Some people are getting ready to lose their job. So you, you kind of mixed emotions a little bit, but, um, and, but I think once you get past that part of it and you realize, okay, this is a team game. I just made a mistake on the field. Like, you know, the two games you pointed out about Will didn't, didn't have his best. He walks a guy, he hits a guy, he gives up a two-run homer. Um, and then all of a sudden your team goes out there and they pick you up and you win the game in the 12th with the three-run bomb. That's when you know things are going well. But it's also a reminder that this is a team game, that you can't be so focused on your own individual performance that you forget about that you've got, you know, 20 other guys on the team that are there to pick you up for some. So then it kind of encourages you to put that behind you and go back out and give it your best. And so it really allows you to um, be a little bit short-sighted uh, or, or not as short-sighted. So you're thinking about, Oh, okay, this is a team game. Okay. I did poorly, but man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tear it up next time. So that allows you to do that. And that's when you know that you you're rocking and rolling as a team, when those things start to happen, like, you know, I was ticked last night, like everybody else, there were multiple times in the game where we didn't bunt a guy over, right? Not that we, we don't do that very much, but you know, then one game we ran through a stop sign you know, Solaire ran through the stop sign that uh, Wash had up. And then, uh, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think our center fielder uh, didn't bunt the ball, didn't bunt the guy over, you know. So I'm just thinking. On Heredia. That, yeah, Heredia. So he didn't bunt him over. And then we walked a couple guys. And then and there were multiple things that I was upset about throughout that game because we were just we we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And you can't do that when you're chasing people. You have to play clean ball. Um, but it just is a reminder that when you make those mistakes, there's guys there to pick you up. And we've got a, a, a big enough and deep enough lineup where we're going to be able to pick up some guys. Freddie wasn't on his game. He's still, you can tell he's still not feeling that great. So guess what? You know, Solaire's there to pick him up. Duvall's there to pick him up. And now we got Darnell back, got a big hit. Swing in the back, good. Had a walk. So, man, I just – I expect more about not shooting ourselves in the foot, but more about picking guys up when they don't perform as well as they as they can. Yeah. I'd, I was curious, as a former closer, and you kind of – you went into it a little bit there, and I, that's, that's really interesting to hear about – when the guys pick you up, it kind of helps ease your mind a little bit. And as you said, it helps you be a little bit more short-sighted about it and just turn the page, I guess, move on. Uh, I was wondering what that was like for you as a former closer when, because I assume even the greatest closers have ever lived go through stretches where things just think something's not working right. Maybe you're not healthy, completely healthy, or uh, I know there were rumors all or not rumors, but people were speculating on Twitter last night. Well, maybe, Maybe Will's doing something, maybe he's tipping his pitches somehow. I mean, 
Who knows? I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not even trying yeah. to get into that. I'm just saying, like, whatever it is, it could be something, whatever's going on. You're going through a rough stretch. I was kind of wondering, what is that like? For, if you just blew a save and you go in the dugout, I mean, what is your mindset then? You're still trying to – I'm sure you're just ticked off as you can be or upset, but at the same time still trying to be there and just not even necessarily say anything, but supportive, um, mm-hmm. standing on the top step if you, if you can. Um, as Will did, you know, last night. So I just, yeah. honestly, I was just kind of wondering, what is that like for his closure? That's got to be tough. Well, being a closer is a tough position because even though when you're pitching last, that's the last thing people remember. So you may blow the save, but you didn't necessarily lose the game. Like I said, there was a bunt that didn't that didn't happen. There was a run in the first inning that should have been two runs because we had a sack. We had what could have been a sack fly after that. So there are points in the game that you can always point to that we should have, um, you know, Riley boots that ball in right field when he's on the shift. So there, there's things that if that would have happened in the ninth, they would have said that lost the game, but it didn't. It's a combination of all those things. So the closer, there's a magnifying glass on you or whatever happens in the bottom of that ninth or the top of that ninth, you're going to get the blame for. So, um, so it is a tough position for that. But look, there's no closer in the big leagues right now that that is, you know, 100% saves. Even Melanson, who is who's leading the league in saves, I think he's blown at least four, three or four saves too. I think I think he's got more than Will does at this point. Don't yeah. on that, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He does, yeah, I agree. He's got 37 saves, and and so there's. I don't ever remember there being a record where everybody did 100% in saves. It's just impossible. I can think it of just, one. Literally just one. Yeah. And that, that would be Brad Lidge, the year that the Phillies won the World Series. And like, there oh, you go. That's, and there that's literally the only one I, I'm aware of off the top yeah. of my head. In never, the last 40 years. Yeah. And that was like, put him <laughs> in like, yeah, exactly. That put him in Cy Young right. conversation because that just doesn't happen. Sure. Right. Even Mario Rivera, uh, Rivera Mariano would, would blow saves because right. that's just the nature of the game. So it's not that you're not going to blow them. The question is, where do you get to the point where – you become not as consistent. You know, you'd like to spread them out where you do one in one month, one yeah. another month, one another. It just doesn't always happen that way. Just like you'd like to just get one hit a game instead of going four for four and then 0 for eight and, you know, three for four. But um, that 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 is the game of baseball. I think that uh, the key for Will is that he continues to, to do the things that makes him successful. I will say this. He likes to throw that curveball down and in, and I'm not a big I'm not a big proponent of his curveball. I think he does better with fastballs and sliders. But there again, you know, you've got to know on that day which pitch is better for you. Because sometimes you go out there, plan A is to throw a curveball and a fastball, and your curveball just doesn't have it. So you got to go to plan B, which may be sliders and changeups. Plan C may be all fastballs. Plan D may be all all cutters. So you have to know uh, and be able to recognize before it's too late. And I think the one thing that's frustrating is that it's different giving up a hit in a situation as opposed to a two-run homer. So it would have been totally acceptable if he hadn't walked the guy before him or if he hadn't hit the guy before that, you know, on these other ones to where it became a two-run homer as opposed to a solo homer. We always have been taught as pitchers just don't, make it more than a solo home run. You're going to give up home runs, but don't complicate it or compound the issue by giving up a walk 
or hitting a guy. And I think that's what's happened with, um, with Will a couple of times is that he's, he picks, he's been picking and not confident in getting hit. I think that's what we love about Rich uh, Rodriguez is that he comes in and he fills up the zone and, and I can, well, I can say this, that's the one thing I've seen different about Luke this year. Why he's been so successful is he has challenged the hitter and not gone three, two. It just seems like Will he's in that stretch where everything is three, two. And then that just gives the hitter such advantage. It makes a two thirty hitter, a two fifty, a two fifty, a two seventy. Anytime you get behind an account. And that's the one thing that frustrates me that I always would, was trying to battle. I know that that's what Leo preached to us is you got to go strike one and you got to stay in the head and the count and get them out before two, two. If you get beyond two, two, then the, the momentum shifts to the hitter. And especially in that ninth inning, it's just really a challenge. So I hope will gets back to being staying aggressive. We picked him up, uh, you know, and I think this lineup is going to continue to pick up guys, but these pitchers need to continue to be aggressive and don't give free walks, don't give cheap hits to these guys, make them earn every bit, and we're going to be fine. Yep, absolutely. And I think with our theme here, of, of we've kind of been on here talking about, you know, picking up your teammates and, and that sort of thing. Like, even the game last night, Radio wasn't able to get the bunt down, but you have to remember he had had a, bl- a two-run blast earlier in the game to help get us get us to that point. Um, I was thinking about well, there's probably been a time earlier in the season where Will was on for the save. Somebody in the infield booted a ball, had an air, and he picked him up by getting a, a double play the next time around. And then, so all those things just, yeah. you know, isn't it, wouldn't it almost be poetic? This, this is one of those things I love about baseball. What if, uh, if you went back and Ozzy had a, had an air earlier this year that, that cost Will an extra out or Will picked him up. And then last yeah. night Ozzy picks him up. And that's just one right. of the things about the game is the guys are there to pick each other up. And it's, uh, well, Hey, we've got to, we got to point out that this infield has been flat out. Unbelievable. Yep. If you look at their, airless streaks that these guys on the right side and the left side of the infield. I know Austin has a couple, had a couple throwing years every now and then, but I'm telling you what, that, that play Dansby made last night when Rodriguez was in there, that pick he made to end that inning. Holy cow. He has done that time and time again. So that infield, if you want to talk about picking people up, those guys have picked a ton of, a ton of pitchers up. Yeah. I had somebody asked me in the press box the other night, they said, uh, Long term, they said, "What? Where do you? Where would you put Riley defensively?" I'm like, I, "I'd leave him at third. I haven't, I haven't oh seen my anything. Gosh. I haven't seen anything that would make me want. I haven't seen anything make me want to move him from there. You know, I, I, I love him there. So I, well, I tell you what, that is a tough position. Yeah, and I, I think I, I've said this before. Chipper was highly underrated as a third baseman." That we know that it's such a tough spot, but look how many third basements have been in or gone into the Hall of Fame. Not many, because it is a challenging, and they don't get the they don't get the uh, the due that they that they deserve, because it's just a tough spot. And Riley, I think, is for his age and what he's doing, he's been phenomenal. I wouldn't change a bit. Riley is. It's funny we were talking with uh, with Gabe Burns. I guess last week it was now. Uh, about Freddie Freeman possibly putting himself in the MVP conversation. It's funny how much things can evolve just in a week's time. 
because uh, I think Bryce Harper, we I don't think we I'm not even sure we mentioned him last week. And now you look at him over the last week and think, well, he might be the, the front runner now. I tell you, a sleeper candidate in this whole thing very well may be Austin Riley. I, if Freddie's in it, then Austin should be. Uh, Austin, the reason why they talk about Freddie's because he's already won it. But I think Austin, he's the one that's carried this team. You know, it was Acuna the first two months. And then the last two months, it's been it was Austin and then Freddie. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, Austin's kind of been there behind Acuna and Freddie the whole time, just being as consistent as anybody. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope hopefully he continues doing what he's doing and uh, maybe get some of the, the national recognition that's, that should come along with that. Because I don't agree. He, he hasn't been getting it yet. But if he keeps up, if he keeps doing what he's been doing, it, it will come. It's like Freddie. Mm-hmm. And it took it took a lot longer than it probably should have for Freddie Freeman to get his due on. A, we've always known here in Atlanta and out throughout Braves country what kind of ball player Freddie Freeman is. Uh, and I think maybe we're seeing a little bit of that with Austin Riley now as he kind of comes into his own. So one other thing I wanted to, I had I, for once, I actually wrote down some notes for this show. It took almost a hundred episodes for me to actually make notes and prep for a, of an episode of behind the Braves, Greg. One thing, <laughs> I, one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, scoreboard watching. We do it as fans. Mm-hmm. I do it as a fan. Uh, I'm curious from a player's perspective and a, uh, what that like when you would actually allow yourself to actually kind of when if you're competing for a division title, when you would actually start to allow yourself, if you would at all. I don't know. I assume maybe guys are different in how they, they do go about their business. No right way or wrong way. I'm just curious. How often would you allow yourself to kind of look at that out of town scoreboard? Uh, how often did it get talked about in the clubhouse or did it not get talked about? Um, I'm just curious because I, I know as a fan, I, 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 regardless of how things are going, maybe if you're leading pretty early on, maybe I'll check in on it a little bit more often, but otherwise if it's close or anything, I, I really don't let myself start looking at it until uh, probably mid July. And that's only because trade deadline, just seeing like this, this year would be a great, perfect case in point for that because of our division, it allowed us to be buyers at the deadline. If had we had that same record in a different division, you know, there mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have even been much point in trying to buy because we didn't yeah. too far behind. Um, so I started looking at it a little bit earlier this year because of that, because we were still in it and I was hoping that we'll be, we would be buyers at the deadline, which we obviously were. Um, but as a player, or but as a, but usually I'm I wait till at least August before I'm really looking at it. But as a player, how how much does that actually happen? How much are you guys looking at that and keeping up with that? I think it just depends if you have something to look at. So if there's something that um, you know, I I think back to '93 where we were chasing somebody and we were so far down. Actually, '94 we were chasing the Expos. Mm-hmm. We were 10 games down, 93, we were chasing the, the Giants were 10 games down. Everybody's watching the scoreboard because you know uh, you can't get too far behind. Now, when you're up by 20 games or you're up by 10 games, which we had, have been, you know, through that run, you're really not paying much attention to it. I will say this, all of us have friends on other teams. And it's and it was when I came into the league, it was pretty prevalent of people moving from team to team. Now it's probably even more, but I would say it hasn't it been ex- exponentially more, but it seemed like there were maybe some more long-term contracts back then as, as opposed to now. 
So everybody has friends on other teams. So you're looking to see how they're doing and you're paying attention. But as far as the meaningfulness of what does it mean for me to win, the Phillies to lose, we know that over the past probably three weeks, that's become heightened for the fans because we talk about it from a business perspective. And you know that the players are talking about it because they want to know, gosh, we can only win one game in a row. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. And so we've got to pay close attention because we don't want to get 10 games down. So everybody's, you know, whether they're sitting there watching it during the game, but, you know, the scores are everywhere, right? They're on the field. They're out of town scoreboard. They're in the clubhouse on the games, the ticker tape. So everybody's aware of it. I I very rarely uh, met a player who says, I never look at any scores. I think back about – some of the golfers that would say that they don't look and see what the other scores, but then some guys, they want to know exactly where they are. And then some guys would not because they're just playing against the golf course. They're not worried about what the other player, they're just shooting their best. Well, that doesn't happen in baseball. I mean, you, you kind of, it's hard not to. And I was a guy that like you, I would always look and see what, what the other teams are doing. Wouldn't make me play harder, but I just kind of like to know where I stand, you know, um, what 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 might need to be done just from a standpoint of not wondering. Right. Well, it's I say this, whether uh, whether you're a game or two out or a game or two up or as we're recording right now, you're tied. It certainly becomes fun watching that scoreboard. And even as you and I are sitting here taping this right now, I've literally picked up my phone probably five times to keep checking the Dodgers Philly score right now. And this is what like now would I rather us be up uh, by 15 games right now? Sure. Yeah. But this is still, this is still the fun part when it's, when you're in it, it's August sure. we're, we're mid August now and we're in it and I'm sitting here looking, checking that, which Dodgers are down two one in the top of the eighth, by the way. So we need the Dodgers to score a couple more runs here, <laughs> uh, but, but that's what makes it fun. Well, Hey, think about this. Do you think, the Dodgers back in 1982 were paying attention the first two weeks of the season to the Braves when they went 9-0, 10-0, 11-0, You think they were looking at the scoreboard each night? Heck yeah, they were, because they could be 10 games back after in the first month of the season. <laughs> Isn't that wild? So, yeah. so that, that would be a reason to watch the scoreboard, right? Normally, you wouldn't be paying attention that much at the beginning of the year, but in 1982 – Everybody was watching the Braves. And I think about Huddy, one of our alumni, when he was playing for the Oakland A's and they won, what, 18 games in a row. You know, everybody was watching the scoreboard then to see if they could they could do it. So a lot of it just has to do with what interest is going on. And here we are with two months left in the season and we're pe- playing, you know, paying close attention to what the scoreboard says for the Mets because everybody's like, can the Mets really go from first to fourth? You know, they get first to third. And then are the Phillies going to do it or are the Braves? So I think we got a lot of people watching this because it's a great race, and I think it's going to continue to be one. I do, too. I do, too. I mean, listen, I hope we get to about the second week of September and we've got this thing put away. Uh, but the realist in me also says this is going to be a dogfight the rest of the way. And I'll say this now, that last, very last week of the regular season, the homestand that happens right here at Truist Park, uh, with the Phillies for three games and the Mets for three games. Boy, that could be one heck of a week here uh, in Atlanta. So it's going to be real, going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you think about how this season has gone and everything that this team has endured this year to be where we're sitting at right now. 
uh, we we couldn't ask for any more than that. I don't think, given everything that that's gone on. So I'm I'm excited. I'm in that mode now where I wake up every day, and the first thing on my mind is is baseball, and I can't wait to get to the park today. And that's agreed. That's agreed. that's uh, why we work in this business is is for to have that feeling where you're waking up and you just can't wait to get to the ballpark. So uh, it's going to be fun. Going to be a fun uh, 50 days or so looking forward to it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, this has been another solid edition of Bubba and Harry take over <laughs> the official team podcast. So hopefully you'll be, you'll join us next week when, when uh, we'll have an, a guest back with us. So we mentioned Los Bravos uh, night up in September and some things we're planning there. And we've got some other, you know, we got HBCU night coming up towards the end of this month. Uh, that's going to be, we had, a, if you remember last year for HBCU night, we had coach Hollins um, from uh, Tuskegee. And then we had Braves Hall of Famer, Ralph Gar on both yeah. of that episode. He'll, and he'll be back. Ralph will be back. Uh, Marquise and Marvin. And then I think we're trying to get, I think Marvin just agreed to be on our HBC Unite podcast. So awesome. we'll have Marvin Freeman this time. Sweet. Well, that that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're, uh, we're going back and forth with some uh, other potential guests coming up here in the next couple months that we're really excited about. So uh, we appreciate y'all as always for joining us uh, for Greg McMichael. I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next week. I'm behind the Braves. Hey, Braves country, we just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at braves.com slash behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.